0: Okay, so I want to talk to us today about marriage, about um, understanding marriage and doing marriage well as uh, part of uh, God's life plan for families. Okay, so um, I suppose that's what we'll call it, understanding and doing marriage well. So um, as an intro, I want to say to us that uh, an an author, a favorite author of mine, G.K. Chesterton, once said, marriage is an adventure. Um, a bit like going to war, like going to war. Now, unfortunately, this seems to reflect the state and the feelings of so many Christian people in marriage. And uh, although many will confess to the uh, adventure part of it and would even smile about it, but very few would actually confess that they are going through the war part of it and they keep that as privately as possible. Now, today... In this session, I hope to bring some understanding and some strong encouragement to married folks with the grace of over 33 years of being married and some experience in dealing with married people all through those years, including myself, my wife, you know, and children and friends and and also professionally as a uh, mediator, as a coach, as a counselor. I hope that I can bring some possibilities of positive change repair and fortification of many relationships at this session here. Okay. All right. So let's start with uh, the idea that we live in a post-Christian culture. We actually do live in a post-Christian culture. That's what I believe anyway, where secular humanism is the new religion. Secular humanism, we can fix it all ourselves. We can do it ourselves. we got everything we need to actually sort things out, and we don't need a deity or a religious figure or um, some sort of religious tenets to guide us through life. You couple that with the fact that most of us probably don't have personal positive role models for marriage. You know, even the good shows like the Cosby Show has been archived, and you can hardly find them anymore. We have tried our best to make our way, haven't we? We've tried our best to make our way. Then, um, about now, I believe it is time that we return to the Bible. Time to return to the Bible to help us attain godly marriages according to His design, according to God's design, which only can assure us of fulfillment and success that our children and our posterity can build upon for the greater glory of God. So, I aim to present my understanding of some passages on marriage which may well fly in the face of some popular views. See, I often hear people say things like, well, that's your interpretation, and that's your interpretation of it. And it's become an almost universal cop-out where everybody, you know, pulls that card, that's your interpretation. Even non-Christians use that cop-out and in resisting the gospel. It's like, that's your interpretation, many interpretations. Well, I will do my best today to stick to simple rules of interpretation And this is it, basically the simplest of it for me is this. If it sounds clearly like it, it probably is it, except when something else that is just as clear needs to be considered alongside or married to it. Pardon the pun, okay? So if it sounds clearly like it, it probably is it except when someone, something else that is just as clear needs to be considered alongside or married to it. And I'm sure somebody is going to say, well, you know, it may be sounding clear to you, but did it sound clear? What was the context? What was the original? Yes, that is all packaged into that simple sentence, if it, you know, if it's clearly, if it sounds like it. So the way it was originally intended to sound to the original listeners and readers, that's how we're going to approach this today. So then, I want to read from three passages of Scripture and want to take my time without rushing too much through them, okay? Read through these passages of Scripture because they form the bedrock of what I'll be talking about. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 31, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now, let's go find them out, starting with Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Starting from verse 22, very popular passage of scripture concerning marriage. It starts with wives. I know some people like to start at verse 21. So let's start there just in case, you know, um, we we make reference to it later. And verse 21 says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I'm reading from the new um, American Standard Version, by the way, the NASB. And be subject to one another, speaking to the whole church um, as brethren, as one body. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That is in reverence for Christ because of Christ. Not just because of one another, but because of Christ. Be subject one to another. And then he goes on to family life from verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Actually, in the original text itself, it you would, it will read something like this: Wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. That the be subject part of it is kind of it's kind of missing because it's already told us all to be subject one to another, and then says, "Wives, to your own husbands." Therefore, the interpreters could, uh, translators could insert, "Be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord." Why? For the husband is the head of the wife. That is the why. It says, do something and do it for this reason, because of this reason. Why? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I want us to remember that because it will come into play a bit later because what it says is husbands love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. Uh, There are so many aspects of Christ's um, lordship and uh, being that could have been applied to this uh, relationship, but the particular one that has been chosen for us is love. Love her in the same way that christ loved the church i will pick up on that a little bit later and he gives a reason um, gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word so that he might sanctify her so there is a purpose again and the purpose is cleansing is sanctification the purpose is purification the purpose is to bring a wife, your, your, your wife to a place where uh, the same sort of place that Christ is looking to bring the church to, which is without spot or blemish. And that is by the washing of water by the word, not by culture, not by tradition, not by personal preferences, but by the washing of water by the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle, that's what I said earlier on, or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. That is, he's doing it right now, does the church. Not just as Christ did the church, but does the church. Notes that. nourishes and cherishes it. And we will come to place that into some application a little bit later. And then it says, uh, um, verse 30, because we are members of his body. That's why he does it, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Quoting from the book of Genesis and the book of Matthew as well. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual amongst you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So that is the first passage. There is a lot in that passage a lot that can hardly be unpacked in a session or two. It takes some workshops, some real discussions to fully unpack this passage. Nevertheless, I am going to do the best that I can to bring out the more salient points um, about the passage a bit later. But let's consider the other two passages. First of all, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Hmm? Again, we can um, back up to verse 17 instead of just starting at 18. It says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Then he goes to family issues in verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. I find it interesting. Um, I am still working out a... Uh, um, an understanding of it, if you like, that in all the passages that speak to husbands and wives, he tends, they tend to start with the wives. Um, Derek Prince once uh, um, spoke, spoke about that as well, and his position was, uh, uh, Derek Prince is going to be with the Lord now, his position was that he believes that uh, the uh, uh, efficacy or the potency of these um, instructions kind of hinge on the wife. Now, you can smile and laugh about that, but they do always tend to start to the wife. Um, I have met one or two women as well who have other ideas as to why that may be the case, and they were not very complimentary ideas. So, we'll pass on very quickly. Um, And some men too, by the way, who have some interesting ideas. But nevertheless, um, I digress. I digress. Forgive me. So, wives, be subject to your husband's as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And then it goes on to other kinds of relationships there. But I am staying particularly with husbands and wives. And at some other session, we'll deal with uh, parents and children as well, okay? So I want to read part of that passage from the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version says in verse 18, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Subordinate and adapt yourselves to them as as is right and fitting and your proper duty in the Lord, All right? He says, subordinate and adapt yourselves to them. And then in verse 19, he says, husbands, love your wives, be affectionate and sympathetic with them, and do not be harsh or bitter or resentful towards them. Let's just note those. We'll come back to them, hopefully. Right, the, the third passage then, before I begin to develop a a theme around all three passages, is in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1. Again, there is a, there's a precursor to this. There is something that's happened before verse 1 of chapter 3, but really, in order to attempt that, we have to look at the whole of chapter 2. But suffice it to say that it says, in the same way. And you can go and double-check later what in, in what same way. In the same way that he, uh, he advised people to behave, um, let's see this in verse 25 of chapter 2. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Actually, we have to go a little bit further than that, um, where it says um, in verse 23, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him um, who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body, and it goes on. And then it says, in the same way, you wives. In what same way? In the same way of, uh, of um, forbearance. In the same way of long-suffering. In the same way of bearing up, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And we'll see that even a bit more clearly as we uh, explore the definitions uh, of, of the particular words and, and phrases and, uh, uh, that have been used in, in, in these passages. So it says, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, there may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Um, Let me read um, that from the Amplified as well, from the top. In like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands, subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them, and adapt yourselves to them subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them and adapt yourselves to them i want you to note that it says subordinate yourself not so much become a doormat or allow yourself to be dominated it says subordinate yourself okay well, again we will unpack that a little bit a little bit later um, but that is that is uh, that that part of the passage there now let me let me carry on reading Um, In verse 4, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Before I carry on, let me check another verse there in the Amplified Version. I believe that is uh, um, verse verse uh, 5. For it was thus that the pious women of old who hoped in God were accustomed to beautify themselves and were submissive to their husbands, adapting themselves to them as themselves secondary and dependent upon them, okay? Um, And uh, so moving on to the husbands in verse 7, says you husbands in the same way as well, okay? With that sense of forbearance, with that sense of understanding, um, live with your wives in an understanding way as with somebody weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Just in case I forget to come back to this, let's look at it very quickly. You know, living with somebody, it says live with your wives in an understanding way. Um, the Amplified Bible says to live considerately live considerately with your wives with an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation so it is it behooves husbands to have an intelligent recognition of what marriage is all about not just a cultural not just a traditional recognition of it but an intelligent and in this case biblical recognition of the marriage relation and that means Honoring the woman, honoring the woman as physically the weaker, but also realizing that you are joint heirs of grace. Let's stop at the honoring the woman first as physically the weaker. Now, uh, I know we live in a time when, you know, uh, there is all kinds of talks of equality from all camps all over the place. But actually, you know, uh, pound for pound... The woman is weaker than the man, pound for pound, okay? If uh, the average woman and the average man, if there's any such thing, went to the gym and trained for an equal amount of time for, um, by the same coach, he will come out stronger. That's how it is. That's how God made it. And he made it so that he can use that strength as protection, as protection for the woman, as a defense for the woman, not as a battering ram and as a domination for the woman, but as protection. Therefore, he's supposed to show her understanding, okay? live in an understanding way with a weaker vessel. So talking about weaker vessels as well. Now, in your homes, you probably have all kinds of vessels. From the poorest to the richest of us, we have special vessels, we have special plates, We have, oh, let's even use jewelry. We have special jewelry. We have the really hard ones. We have the the delicate ones. Now, the the, the notion that is being presented to us here in this description of the choice of words is more of delicateness, which speaks of value, okay? It's more of delicateness, which speaks of value. So, um, by and large, most um, uh, uh, vessels or most items in the house that are that are more valuable tend to be more delicate. The same with jewelry. The jewelries that are more valuable also tend to be more intricate and more delicate. And that's exactly how the husband is supposed to view the wife in these matters. Not just as a wicked vessel that can be battered, that can be beaten, that can be brutalized anytime he so wishes to express his maleness around her. That's not the biblical thing. So I wanted to clear the air on that about this weaker vessel thing in case I don't get to come back to it. And it says, show her honor. That is the point of the recognition is to show her honor because she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. Fellow heir of the grace of life. She is equal in value to the man concerning the grace of God. In the view of God, in the will of God, she is a fellow heir. You know, it's interesting that, uh, that uh, we are quite happy to say we are joint heirs with Christ and have all these definitions about, you know, joined at the hip. Uh, we are co-signers of the same account and all this. But when it comes to um, dealing with the wife, sometimes the husband wants to now make a, a distinction, uh, about that. No, it says we are fellow heirs. We are joined heirs of grace. And then it says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. There is a real hindrance that can come to a man if he doesn't treat his wife right. There is a spiritual deprecation that happens to a man and by extension to his family who doesn't treat his wife right, the way the Bible says to Your prayers will be hindered. And this also gives us a further indication of a man's role in a family as well, and it should be a role of a prayer, because it talks about his prayers being hindered or not. So beware, man, that there are all these dynamics at play here. Okay, so we've explored, uh, we have explored these three passages. But before I move on, there is just one verse that I would like to further point out in case again that um, I don't get a chance to come back to it. Where has it gone? First Peter um, Okay, it is actually verse 2, verse 2 from the Amplified again, from from the Amplified, because um, I like the way it is rendered. It says, when they observe the pure and the modest way in which you conduct yourselves, together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him, all that reverence includes, to respect, to defer to, to revere him, to honor, esteem, appreciate, prize, and in the human sense, to adore him. That is to admire, praise, be devoted to, deeply love, and enjoy your husband. There are all these qualities here, okay, that have been described as to how a woman may practically um, apply what she's learning, a wife, from the things that the, um, the Apostle Peter is teaching here. And as it happens, I, lo- I love the Amplified Bible, particularly in these matters, I've said this before in other messages. You may have heard me say them before in other workshops, that the Amplified Bible was written by a woman, a very spiritual woman. And so this is not a case of some uh, 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 misogynistic man writing some crazy ideas in order to further dominate women. This is written by a woman, a spirit-filled woman who wants to see Um, the Bible really radiate the life of God. So go check on those a little bit later. Right. We have explored those three passages a little bit and some aspects of them that really I I could have skipped over and gone into into something else. But it's no point reading these things and not commenting on some of the very obvious and very sort of in-your-face parts of those passages. So now I come back to my main direction. Let's look at some grammar issues, some definition issues, application issues about these passages. So, first of all, let us look at submit. Ooh, that word. <laughs> That word, I have been part of many, many a discussion where that word might as well have been a two-edged sword. That word might might as well have been all kinds of things. That word, submit, to submit or to subject. What does it really mean? It means to place something in an orderly fashion under or in respect of something to place something under another. And in this particular context, for one person to place themselves under another person. It is the present imperative active. What does that mean? Let's let's break that down, okay? Just work with me slowly now. Let's break that down. Present imperative active tense. You know, there are all kinds of tenses. And God has blessed us with scholars and uh, technicians of language who are able to break down what the exact kind of tense that you're using at any one time and that these passages were written in. These particular instructions, they are imperatives. An imperative is a command to do something, it's not optional. It's not saying you should think of doing it. It's not saying perhaps you might want to be gracious and behave like this. No, an imperative is a command to do something. That's why we use the term, it's imperative for you to do this or to do that. It's imperative that we do things a certain way. That's the first thing. So it's a present imperative active. The present part of it means Continuous or repeated action. Continuous or repeated action. So it is present. It's always present. Never in the past. Always present. Repeated action. It is also active. Now, this is the most interesting part of it all because imperative you could probably cope with very quickly, you know, like, yeah, pretty much everything in the Bible is an imperative, really. Um, it is present, continuous, repeated action. Okay, I'm supposed to be doing it now and carry on doing it, not just I did it yesterday or last month. I, I'm i supposed to always be being this. Now, the active part of it means it is the subject of the Imperative that is responsible for the action. Let me say that again. It is the subject of the... That is the person to which the imperative is addressed is responsible for the action. The person to which the imperative is addressed is responsible for the action that is solicited. Bring that all together... And you can see that when the Bible says, wives, be subject or submit yourself to your husband as a present imperative active, it is saying to the wives, this is your own part to play. You need to be playing it all the time, not just yesterday. And it is for you only to play. It is for you to activate and it's for you to continue, all right? This has not been written for the husband to take hold of and to enforce. It has been written for the wives to take a hold of and to apply and activate in their living. Okay? So it is directed at her to do, it's not directed at him to enforce. There is a point, uh, there's a reason to, to really understand this. <clears throat> because what we discover. I wish, as, as in fact, I might as well share it with you now, Now, when the Bible speaks to the husband as well, and says to do certain things, it is also a present imperative active, which means. So, for instance, when it says later on that uh, in Ephesians chapter five, when it says that the husband should should love the wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it, he should nourish and cherish. Those are all imperatives that are directed at the husband to activate and to apply in his life. They are not directed at the wives to try to enforce or to manipulate or to use as leverage. Neither of them should be using any of these imperatives as, as manipulative tools or leverage tools against each other or about each other. Yes, they are written to the whole church. And therefore, we are, we have access to the to a common understanding. And as it happens today, a man is preaching it, but tomorrow it could be a woman preaching it. We all have a common understanding. Nevertheless, that common understanding does not mean that we all get to enforce what we understand. So I fully understand how my wife is supposed to behave but it is not my job to enforce that behavior. In the same way, wives should fully understand how the husbands are supposed to be and behave, but it is not for them to leverage it or to enforce that behavior. I hope that that has come through a little bit clear. That present imperative active. So then, going back to the wives, and we will return to the husbands, it is not so much obedience as it is adapting, adjusting, flexing, compromising, complementing. You see, the amplified got it right in amplifying that word, submit. It means to adapt, to adjust, to flex, to compromise, to complement. When we say something complements another, you know my top compliments, my my trousers, my, uh, you know, my, <laughs> whatever else I feel for examples right now. But it's that sort of compliment as opposed to saying something nice about, it's saying that that actually fits and that suits. So the, the issue of submission, friends, I know it can be quite explosive for some. and And half the time, the explosiveness of it, it's, it's really more culture-based, tradition-based, and preference-based, proclivity-based, and all this. Not really biblical, ling- linguistic, understanding-based. So it is not so much about obedience as it is about adapting and adjusting. Submit yourself. Adapt yourself is the imperative. Hmm? What it takes is an active deliberate, loving, intelligent devotion to the husband's noble aspirations and ambitions. Noble aspirations and ambitions. The husband ought to have a vision. He ought to have aspirations. He ought to have ambitions. Adam already had aspirations uh, built into him by the time a wife was made for him. So there was already something for them to engage in together. But that's another message Um, entirely to be done some other time. The wife is supposed to join him to assist him to become all that he possibly can be. Just like the church joins Jesus Christ to assist him to become all that he can possibly be in the earth today. Okay, that is our mandate, isn't it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The church is, as the bride of Christ, as the the governmental arm of Christ, is constantly seeking to establish the will of Christ in the earth. And so also goes the wife to the husband. Because remember, the Bible says, it is a mystery. This is about Christ and the church. It is uh, a cosmic drama of incredible proportions. That we're supposed to be participating in so in order to do this it demands knowledge understanding and wisdom the wife needs to take time to know who and what her husband is and wants to be she needs to understand why and what it means to him and then employ all of her talents and wisdom in the same way that the church employs all of her talents and wisdom to help accomplish and fulfill all of that. This is her part to play or not. And it is independent of the husband fulfilling his part or not and vice versa. This can be a really troublesome point to make. So I'm going to take a minute to try and make it properly. You see, because this imperative is directed at a particular person and the subject is the one who's supposed to activate and do this in their own lives, the other person doesn't get to enforce it. That also implies that they get to do it or not do it. It is, it is their choice, so to speak. And it is independent of the other party's behavior or not reciprocity, the idea that, you know, quid pro quo, when I do something, you do something for me. When I do something, it should, uh, it should incite you to do something, inspire you to do something for me, and vice versa. It's a really good concept and idea. And, you know, as we grow and mature, there should be more and more of that happening in any good, growing, maturing relationship. Nevertheless, the marriage relationship is not it's not, uh, it's not, founded on reciprocity. It is not. It is founded on two individuals who are understanding what marriage is about and who are committing themselves to each other to accomplish the will and the purposes of God for them as a married couple. So it is independent of the husband fulfilling his part. This is not a very popular message in these days of overrated and overemphasized liberation and equality. And also in these days of excessive male domination and testosterone-driven behavior. Selfishness and abdication is rife in many relationships. Selfishness. Where a husband simply says, well, you know, I make the money, I decide how it's spent. And that's the end of the story. Selfishness. Okay, I'll buy myself a 500 pound suit, but you know what? You can make do with that 100 pound dress. Selfishness. Abdication is also there. But, you know, I digress. This is the wife's part. I will get to the husband in a few minutes. Friends, this is how the church is subject to Christ. We adopt, we adapt, we compromise, we adjust, we complement, all in order to achieve his will. As if to the Lord, the wife is supposed to subject herself to her husband. As if to the Lord. Let me read a few different translations of that main sentence about submission which will hopefully shed a little bit more light, just a bit more light on the particular word and subject itself. So we've already read from the Amplified that says, wives, be subject, be submissive and adapt yourself to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. This is Ephesians 5.22, by the way, as a service to the Lord. The Bible in basic English says, wives, be under the authority of your husbands. The common English Bible says, wives should submit to their husbands. God's Word translation says, Wives, place yourselves under your husband's authority as you have placed yourselves under the Lord's authority. Can you hear that? New century version says, Wives, yield to your husbands. Yield. New international readers version. Wives, follow the lead of your husbands as you follow the Lord. Today's new international version. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And I will stop there for now. Right? There are no passages there. Now, the reason I'm pulling out as many translations as possible is indeed because of all this, you know, uh, well, you know, that's how you translate it, that's how you say it. Well, the the, the general uh, um, um, ethos of all translations tend to agree about this matter. And because the word submission itself is so explosive... I decided to spend a bit of time on it not so much to <laughs> to enforce anything on a woman but rather to clarify what otherwise sometimes seems a bit uh, muddy about this whole idea in fact I was a discussion with uh, some friends a couple of weeks ago and uh, we were laughing about how somebody did say you know um, um, I'd explain the word submission in, in a different way you know and all this and they said you know what? That's very good. I get it now. I understand it. So in the future, can we, can we just skip the word submission itself? Like, can we just not say it? I, I, I could understand why you would want to not say it, but I, I, I had to say to them, I, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, it, it's one of those words that it, it is just there. It's in the scriptures. You can't skip it. You can't just not say it, because it's uh, a controversial or explosive terminology in our time. So, just before I move on to the husbands, I know we've been at this for a few minutes now, but I'll pick up a bit of pace. I I tend to take time with what is a more difficult concept. Let me tackle this idea of obedience I, I can't do it too much, but I'm going to give it a go. To obey or obedience is generally not used in respect of a wife to her husband in the scriptures. To obey or the term obedience. She does not have to obey you. <laughs> That's not the point at all. Obedience is generally only used for children, for slaves, servants, and animals in the Scriptures. Okay, generally I say, and I I, I hide behind that caveat because somebody is probably going to find me one. It is also used for a church member to church leaders and believer to Christ, but you are not Christ, nor should you view your wife as a member following you, the leader. Somebody says, but it says, you know, I'm supposed to lead her like Christ. Well, yeah, but the Bible is quite careful in saying that husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, and we'll come to it again in more detail, as Christ loved the church, and then he gives the application of that love, as in, what aspect of that does he want you as a husband to take on board? What aspects of Christ-likeness, christ if you like, does he want us to take over? Does he want you to be a savior to your wife, like Christ is a savior to the church? Does he want you to be the Lord of your wife, like Christ is the Lord to the church? No, it tells us clearly how we should be which is to love her and to lay our lives down for her like Christ did for the church. So obedience is not the issue. The wife's allegiance is primarily to her Lord and Savior and to his will. She's ultimately responsible to and accountable to him. So she may be subject to anything. She may not be subject to anything that is pertinently against his will. However, when the husband's will does not clash with or transgress the Lord's will, then she should be subject to him in everything. Let's see now. We've covered enough on that. Um, Okay, I'll just say this one last bit, one last bit, before I move on to husband's. Spouses should have done a lot of work of preparation to be apprised of and to align each other's desires before marriage as much as as reasonably possible. But I understand, we all come from different places as far as, you know, marriage preparation goes. I I barely had any preparation. You know, I had to learn on the job, so to speak. So I I get it. But we must do the work of, of learning more and more about each other's desires and how we can bring them to pass. And just like we ask the sovereign, omnipotent, and omniscient Lord to change things for us, a wife can also ask her husband to change things or change his mind for her. The trouble I often encounter in counseling people is that the wife is not appealing to her husband in the way that we appeal to the Lord, the church appeals. There's often a position um, that is usually inspired by the spirit of the age, I say, which is, let's fight for my equality and fight for my rights. Neither of them should be fighting for that, really, but rather should be behaving according to the imperative that's been given them in the scriptures. Now, there's a lot of time I know I have spent on the wife thing, It is just a little bit, that little bit more complicated than the imperative to the husband. Um, Not because the scriptures themselves are complicated, but because the world we live in, especially today, the last sort of few decades, in my lifetime anyway, have complicated matters for us. And it, and it behooves us to really try to unravel things a little bit. Okay, now let's move on to the husband's says, husbands, love your wives. The word used for love there is agapao. It indicates a direction of will and of finding one's joy in something. Again, it is the present imperative active. Start now and do it again and again and again is the present imperative active and it is his job to do it and it is independent of if she does her part or not okay it's not reciprocal it's not this idea of well if she doesn't submit then i can't love her like that just like she shouldn't be saying well if he doesn't lay down his life for me then how why should i be submitting that that's not how the scriptures are presented to us. You may have ideas as to why that may be the case or should be the case, but that's just not the, it's just not the soundness of what we've been um, given, the imperatives we've been given. Okay, so listen, friends. Christ's ultimate demonstration of love was through one singular transformative act of redemption. Husbands are commanded to love in a similar way but in a continuous or repeated disposition. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That is the disposition that has been said. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Philippians 2 talks about having this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was God, though he was God, he did not grasp at it and did not come to, <laughs> to show us how God he is. Rather, he came, he emptied himself, he dispossessed himself, he became a servant, he became, he became a provider, he became a leader, a kind one, and so on. Husbands are commanded to love in a similar way, but in a continuous or repeated disposition. We need constant recalibration and must find our direction, our inspiration, and motivation from the greatest role model, Jesus Christ. This kind of love does not rely on emotions, but on will. Although it may harness the strength of emotions, it passionately directs the will, in meeting the highest needs of his objects, and finds his joy in the fruit of such employment. It may harness the strength of emotions, but ultimately it is about the will for the man. It's about understanding what I'm fighting for, why I am fighting, and what the outcomes of my fight is supposed to be for my wife. The way Christ deals and relates with the church is not emotions filled. Yes, we enjoy the the emotional uh, sort of aspects of our relationship with him, um, but ultimately, he has a cause in mind, and that is that we all be conformed (laughs) to to a certain image. He has given himself completely to making us a certain kind of people, and that is in love. This love, like I said before, is not necessarily reciprocal. It is not give and take. It is a determination of will to always do and be the best for her regardless of her response. Someone might say that the Bible teaches that all Christians should love in this way. That is correct. However, when it comes to the husband and wife relationship, the onus and burden of this kind of love is upon the husband. Just as it is on the Lord in his relationship with us. Even if the church is supposed to continue to mature in unconditional love for her Savior, and we are supposed to continue to mature in unconditional love for our Savior, That's again that's another message entirely. But the Lord's love for us is ever steadfast, despite and in spite of the church's behaviour towards him, which often only speaks of rebellion, unfortunately. Yet he remains true, he cannot deny himself. See, friends, the wife's imperative is to subject herself to her husband, not to love him. That doesn't mean she shouldn't love him, but that's not the imperative. There is one mention of love concerning the wife to the husband. You find that in Titus 2, 4, where it refers to affectionate love for a man, where it says, give him attention, show him affection. Uh, You see, where it says, uh, all the women likewise have to be... Reverence in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaves to much wine, teaching what is good. All the women should teach what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, that is, to give him attention and show him affection, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home. You see, it's interesting that it actually uses the same term of love, that is, affection and attention that it uses for the children, uses it for the husband here in this passage as well. So when the Bible says that a wife should love the husband, which only shows in this particular passage, is about attention and affection. But when it says the husband should love the wife, it is about the will, and it is about investing all that he has and all that he's capable of in achieving a certain kind of um, success in that woman's life. This is what Christ did for the church and left us an example to follow. Because of what he did, we find fulfillment. Life is now truly enjoyable. We find refinement. We are constantly changing for the better. We find endearment. We love him and we appreciate him. The husband is therefore to harness all of his passions and directs them by his will, living in such a way that will yield fulfillment, refinement, and endearment for his wife. It is a deliberate, voluntary commitment to sacrifice whatever he can for the good of his wife. Good, good is defined through his relationship with the Lord and through his knowledge and understanding of his wife, like Peter has exhorted him to do. Friends, Christ demonstrated through the harrowing passion and death and his resurrection, and husbands must adopt the same ethos. In essence, Jesus came to provide a fulfilling life, freedom from fear and anxiety, and to mediate a relationship with the Father. Husbands are meant to provide the same for their wives in increasing measures. Jesus is not only Lord over us, as many husbands want to be over their wives, even though the Bible doesn't say you're Lord over her, but he is Lord for us. He exercises his lordship for the benefit of his bride, the church. So even if you must be Lord, it is Lord for, not Lord over. It is the woman that chooses to come under, like Peter says about Sarah and such women of old who were not afraid of their husbands. They were not afraid, yet they call them Lord. They brought themselves under. It is not you that comes under. ...over her. The husband's role is truly covenant motivated. It is built upon an ever maturing understanding... ...of the purpose and power of covenant. It is fueled by willpower. Fueled by willpower. Okay, I'm going to round up now. Beginning to round up. As I used to further examples... ...that the scriptures use in Ephesians 5... The words cherish and nourish. I did sort of point them out quickly, but I want to spend the next couple of minutes or so just uh, exploding them a little bit more. What does it mean to nourish and to cherish? It says that a man does not, there is no man that yet hated his own flesh, but rather nourishes and cherishes it. So therefore, The exhortation, the imperative is to love her as you love your own body. Again, willful love is used here. And refers to that sense of self-preservation that is common to all humans, but men exhibit it so well. That sense of self-preservation. That is, we we fight, we fight, men fight. It's interesting. (laughs) Oh, please don't get me... I'm um, yeah. <laughs> men are built to do things a certain way, different to how women do. Now, we live in a time of soppiness, of softness, and many men don't even have never done an arm wrestle competition in their lives. talk less of defend something or defend somebody. We're supposed to be warriors on behalf of our women, of our wives. He says to nourish and to cherish. Friends, you defend and protect what you cherish. You defend and protect what you cherish. The things that I cherish, I defend and I protect them. You know, you can think of your car, of your home, of your business, of your whatever it is. You, if you cherish it, you are going to defend it. Nourish. I fend for what? um, To to nourish something is to fend for it, okay? So you fend for her as you would yourself. Food, drink, clothes, home, etc. That's nourishment. And we honor. The honor is to cherish and to nourish. We honor her as you would honor yourself. For example, your wife has dreams too. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds silly once you say it to yourself. Your wife has dreams too. Why should it just be only about you? But when you nourish and you cherish, in the same way that I groom myself, not as much as some other people, but I do groom myself. I, I nourish myself. My body's a temple, I say sometimes in my home. I eat better than I used to, etc. I, I, I like what I like we should nourish and cherish our wives. Book of Colossians exhorts husbands not to become embittered against their wives. And Peter says to live with them within an understanding way and intelligent recognition of the marriage relationship. In a nutshell, therefore, friends, yes, I have spent less time on the husband's. Because the issues there, for me, they are less explosive. In a nutshell, the husband is to live for his wife, whatever that takes. So listen, my dear sisters, when your husband says to you sometimes, "I, I am your husband, what most of them are simply trying to say to you is, I will defend you, protect you, nourish you, cherish you. It's just just using a simple sentence to encompass all these different qualities and values that it's supposed to bring into your life. Don't be afraid. Like Sarah, do not be afraid. Sarah was not afraid of Abraham. You know, she spoke her mind. She even laughed at the the Lord's promise. And we know of one or two other things she said to Abraham that almost... uh, a compromised uh, the, the deal along the way. You're supposed to live for your wife. The wife may have to be subject to the husband, where well, she is supposed to be, but he is also to employ and invest the best of himself for her. So then, friends, brothers, sisters, in conclusion... Husbands and wives, equality of position and value in the sight of God, equal in position and value, they are joint heirs of grace. They both deserve to be nourished and cherished. Yet there are different roles and distinct qualities to these roles, which unfortunately has been, you know, messed up a lot in the times we live in and unfortunately as well some of us in church are adopting and adapting and sucking in some ideologies and philosophies from the world that are not really helping us and i would just like to say that just because something looks like it's working does not necessarily mean that it is working according to the will of god equality of position and value but distinct roles. I've said it. I've said it through the years. we we'll keep saying it. There's very little I've said today that I haven't said before to but probably this audience that I'm preparing this for. So let me conclude with these two definitions. Headship and submission. Headship and submission. Let's start with submission again because the wife's role. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and to affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts, which may well surpass his gifts in many ways. Let me say that again. Submission is that divine calling I want to call it, it's a calling of a wife to honor and to affirm her husband's leadership. He must have a vision, an aspiration, an ambition, a vision of God, something to achieve in life, a legacy to build. To affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry through according to her gifts, which may well surpass his gifts in many ways don't be afraid guys your your wife may be smarter than you that shouldn't be a problem in fact it should really be a real good thing to help you achieve your ambitions in life husbands your headship of your wife is the divine calling of God for you to take primary responsibility for Christ-like loving leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Okay? It is the divine calling of God. It is God that has made it so to take primary, not ultimate, because ultimately we all draw from the Lord himself. But primary... Responsibility again, not all, not complete responsibility because your wife will be working, will be earning, will be providing in all sorts of different ways. Otherwise, that it makes a nonsense of Proverbs 30 Woman primary responsibility for Christ like loving leadership, so you. You bring leadership to the home and to the family. You bring direction to the home and the family. Not necessarily without consultation, but at the end of the day, it is your responsibility. When God showed up in Eden, who did he call for? Adam, where are you? You are responsible for that leadership and you will be called upon to answer for it. Then there is protection and provision in the home. Husbands. Husbands. Love your wives, protect them, provide for them, stand in harm's way for them in practical terms and in all sorts of other terms. So friends, as we're all growing and maturing and seeking to do the will of God, I commend you to his word, to the word of his grace. I commend you to his spirit who is powerful to teach us the deeper nuances of the will and the mind of God for us who is powerful to open our minds and our hearts and our spirits to receive not just the will of God but the power to accomplish that will in our lives. I commend you to the word of his grace, to the spirit of his power and I commend you to a life that is yet, that is yet undescribed. I commend you to a future that will be incredibly fulfilling for you for your wife, for your husband, for your children, and ultimately for the glory, for the glory and the praise of our blessed God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. We give in to your word. Help us to do your word, please.